0: passage that we've been reading here during the course of this series 1 Timothy 6:17 through 19 and it says this command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Our desire is that we would all be able to say, man, I'm taking hold of the life that is truly life. We're never too young or too old to experience all there is to experience in life, And I'm pumped about the final talk here today because we're going to go just to the final. There's so much the Bible has to say, but really I think a final subject that can bless us in this room, and that is to be set free from uh, how greed can lead us to being strapped. And we find it in a passage in Luke, a parable of the rich fool. And uh, it's, it's in verse 13 of Luke 12. And we're going to jump in here and see what we can discover in order to help us take hold of the life that's truly life. Uh, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, saying to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. How many of you have kids How many of you have heard that same question? I want half, you know, and uh, it's like, come on, give me some. It's unfair. They got more. You try to make it even, right? That is a fun game to play. So Jesus is playing this game, and this is what he says Jesus replied, man, man, no, (laughs) I wonder how he did that. Man, Uh, it was some tone, but he replied this, man, who appointed me a judge, or an arbiter between you. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, he talks to himself. It's kind of funny, you know, isn't it? He's like, he's having a conversation with himself. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. I hope it's okay to get a little teachy today because I think there's so much of the text that we just need to grab the context of within Scripture and see what's really being shared with us because it can be misinterpreted, and we need to really get uh, to a position of allowing ourselves to discern what God's challenging us to do, not telling you what to do, but allowing you to be rich towards God as this parable challenges us to do, not just being Storers of things for ourselves, being richly generous, if you would. Let's consider this teaching by Jesus and who it's confronting. Is he confronting the brother who's demanding half the inheritance in the story? Oh, we should have an online survey during this right now. Um, yes, A, B, C, D, or oh, is is he uh, is he correcting the one who received the inheritance? Like, is that who this parable is for? Like, who's he correcting? You ever just stop and pause? It's like we focus on the parable. But remember, it was spurred on by these two brothers wanting, I want my portion, I want my portion, I'm half, you're half, you know, and it's kind of there. I get the whole thing. I'm the oldest. Pound you, sucker. In the context, the oldest should get everything by law as this time in history uh, allowed. But the brothers saying, it's not fair, Then the third option, maybe he's mad at both of them, and he's telling the parable about both the older brother because he's not sharing, and sharing is caring. Or maybe he is mad at the other one for just being entitled, thinking he's entitled to half, but he shares this story about greed that can help us all learn something. And so today we're going to hopefully learn something. One thing we do know, it's not about the inheritance, and this is why. Proverbs 13, 22 says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So just so we're on the same page, the inheritance is a good thing that they received it, right? In fact, if they were the child's child of the one who left it, it's very scriptural. I don't know about you, but whenever I read that passage, it challenges me because that's a lot to think of storing up. You know, we try to keep that discipline of savings in the budget, and it's one of the first things we cut, probably, right, Uh, to tear down our binds and make them bigger. Anyway, so that's, you know, it's one of the first things we do, like, put our money towards or take our money from is the savings aspect, but yet... Leaving an inheritance for our children, let alone their children, this is a tough challenge. And it takes us planning a little different, but it's in the Bible. Um, there's displayed an attitude of greed. It's not the inheritance, it's the heart of those receiving it in the instance that provides a teaching moment for Jesus. So he takes the opportunity amongst his disciples that are present and is going to illustrate, hey, here's a good lesson about greed. Abundance and possession should not, should not be the sole source of our trust and comfort. But so often we think, man, if only I had enough money then. How many times do we say stuff like that? And some of us who've been in seasons of deep want realize we're most richly blessed and provided for when we don't have everything, not that we wouldn't want it all. So anyway, uh, back to this. Jesus continues with a parable about what he calls a rich man and a good crop. There's nothing wrong with the crop. There's nothing wrong with the fact that this man takes in an amazing crop. It's all good. And we've been talking over the last three weeks about what, we sh- what our position or relationship should be with the crop, right? I mean, we've had a lot of, lot of crop to talk about. So we have uh, been talking uh, again in the first week about how we're all rich. The reality of our position in the world, we're the top 1%. And God puts a, a challenge to the rich. Again, in this story, like we are the rich. We're the illustration, right? Globally, we're in the top 1%. Open-handed is supposed to be our position, not tight-fisted with the rich wealth we have the opportunity to be a part of. We looked in week two at the command to tithe. Jaden did a phenomenal job with all his fruit up here and, and, you know, 10 bananas, one banana to God through the church, you know, and then a potato and a carrot. No bananas? I don't know. Anyway, it was a lot of fun. There was bananas. And so we had some fun with that. We presented a 90-day tithe challenge. Some of you have taken that challenge, and that's kind of fun to see that practice. We don't, we don't wait to see whether we'll have an extra 10% at the end of the month. We, we give the first 10%, then watch God provide the rest. Challenging to reverse that. And then last week, we looked at lending and borrowing and the fact that God teaches us how to do it, which is phenomenal. And so, even if you miss those, this is the beautiful final piece. It's what do we do with all this money that we are blessed with? What if we get a good crop? And we now are in the position of like blessing. What do we do with our relationship with all this stuff? That's the context. In fact, the context of this day, at the time of this writing, is if you got a good crop, you were considered to be well favored and blessed by God. God was the provider of all prosperity. And so it wasn't, there weren't books like Self Made Millionaire and Self Made Man and Do It Yourself and You Are God and the different teachings that are, it was. Glory to God. Job 42.10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous. The Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. Psalm 128, 1 through 2, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways, who will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. So this is… The context in which Jesus is teaching this, he understands the good crop, that's a gift from God. So the rich ruler received a gift. So it's all good. So where does the wrong come from? Selfishness and greed. And I admit that I've seen this in myself. I mean, I've seen the rich man desire well up in me more than one time in my life obviously. Pretty constant in the world we live in, right? We want bigger. Somehow bigger has become better even in the realm of cell phones. Have you noticed that? People used to make fun of you for having a brick, how they started these phones, you know. And then it's like the smaller phone you can get. You even got to fold it in half and it's now a flip phone. This is like the coolest because it's so small. It can fit in your pocket. And then you want the thinnest and smallest and now it's a touch screen that's thin and small, but now the screen has to be bigger. screen has to be bigger. And so they have to actually cast, like, very large people in the commercials to make them look small. But small is the new big, and then big is the new small. I'm confused because now you see people, like, going around. Hello? Yeah. No, cool. Oh, let me get a picture. <laughs> Haven't you seen that? It is hilarious. Like, you have the, you have the Samsung SG-1 two, three, they're about to come out with the four, you got the Note 1, Note 2, their phones and tablets, you might as well just, you know, it's crazy, it's like you got the mini, you got the regular, you got the maxi, I don't know, it's all awkward, you know, so you just look at all these different, we just want bigger in everything, don't we? It was the smaller car, and then now it's the, it was the bigger car, and then we realized gas was going to cost like $10 a gallon. So now it's the smaller car, but now the smaller car engine's in the bigger car. It's just weird. And uh, that's the world we live in. We honor our bill collectors, and we pay taxes before we honor God. It's the world we live in, right? We don't give a full tithe. We kind of just kind of see what's left over It's easy to compromise. We ignore contentment and turn to consumption. The temptation is all around us. It's mine. As in this story, my grain, my goods, and I want to store them in my bigger barn. You know, so Jesus is painting this story of my, my, me, 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 and he doesn't condemn the rich guy for storing things up. Again, Proverbs 13, 22, it's good to store things up as an inheritance. He just talks to him in correctiveness in the parable because he was storing up for himself. He wasn't looking for an opportunity to to pass it on. He doesn't talk about children. He doesn't talk about inheritance. He doesn't talk about the poor. He doesn't talk about the needy. He doesn't talk about leaving some of his crop on the edges, which we'll look at in a second. Does anybody… Know the name Albert Lexi in the room. Albert Lexi. Okay. You know the story because this week it's a perfect illustration. A shoe shiner for 32 years has been setting aside his tips in a children's hospital in Pittsburgh. Catch the story. starts before dawn in the Pittsburgh darkness the 88 pen pulls up and he climbs off as he has for 32 years to strangers Albert Lexi is anonymous but here in the bowels of children's hospital this gentle soul is his sick child's angel. We can't see J- Jeff gog off till this afternoon. Each morning, Albert examines his schedule like a doctor on the clock. And Fred. But his gift isn't healing, it's giving back. This is how I work and this is how I work. Shine, shine shoes, to go through tunnels and then talk talk to my talk to my customers. Albert's work comes in twos. I, mean, I think about 50, 50, 53, 54 years. Since 1957. A shine costs five bucks. Most most of them give six. There's a 20. Some of them give seven. And Albert is given every tip. I think he does it because he loves the kids. Every extra dollar. It's just his heart. The size of his heart is tremendous. Okay. Back to the kids. They're all done. He's uh, donated over a third of his lifetime salary to the free care fund. It's a fund for sick children whose parents just can't afford to pay. He's a philanthropist is what he is. Yeah, he's an entrepreneur. Each dollar. Isn't that amazing that one person can do so much? Every tip. Thank you. Yep. Since 1981. I had a doctor who gave, uh, gave me a $50 bill for Christmas. <laughs> and with these shines today, Albert will give his 200,000th dollar. To sick children. He can bring in five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a week. Strangers who so badly need his help. It's the beauty of Albert. One simple man whose purple cart. How often do you find people that nice? How are you doing? I mean, really that nice. And kind heart. He's a pure good person. He's, there's, 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 there's nothing but good in this man. Change one life heart at, heart a heart. at a time. It's good to be a, be a, be a hero. Let that, let that sink in, especially students in the room. The difference you can make over the course of life, if you're just consistent, like one dollar at a time, $200,000, his income, he's given a third of his lifetime earnings. That should inspire us and challenge us. And uh, I just heard that story this week in the car, and I'm like, wow. Wow. Have a lot of people given more? Absolutely. Have a lot of companies given more? Absolutely. But that's just beautiful sacrifice in that story. Mark 12, 41 through 44 says this, Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how. Say out loud how. So Jesus saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants, whatever that is. So he um, all those. Uh, so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, "Assuredly, I say to you that this." Poor widow has put in more than all those who've given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. God is not interested in what you give, He's interested in how you give. I mean, if we capture anything over this whole stinking series, it's that. He's not interested in the number. He's interested in the heart. He's interested in the how. That's, the, that's what generosity is. It's something that flows out of a heart. Like they were singing that story about Albert. He's just a good man. He's just all good flowing out of us. Jesus saw how people put money into the treasury. The woman put in her whole livelihood. Like Albert Lexi in this story puts in a third of his livelihood. Do you think making only five dollars a shine that he could have potentially used a little more cash for himself? I bet he could have. I bet he could have. But this gentleman gave back. So what drives this kind of generosity, this kind of living? How can we Glean from it and become richly generous towards God as well. Have a few points here for you. Number one is the number one thing. Jesus. Just write Jesus in the blank. How could you? You know The more we grow in our relationship with Jesus, the more generous we become. That's how we're wired. When you connect with Jesus, generosity happens. Luke 19:2 through8 tells this story. And I've been just itching to share this one with you after I read it a few weeks back studying for one of the other talks. But Luke 19 shares the story of Zacchaeus. And if you are ever a child, Christian or non-Christian, you most likely at some point in time had a book that had a song about Zacchaeus in it. He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, right? And even myself, who didn't necessarily grow up in church and make a decision to follow Jesus till I was 21, I know the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Now, today that might not be a politically correct song to sing. You have to change the mascot of the story. You know, I'm just saying you can't say little because it might offend you. Yeah, I don't know. There were these pirates at Ben Franklin yesterday. I was doing this like Wedding expo thing, which was interesting. And, uh, and, and these pirates came in and they had a wee little man on their team. And it was awesome. I almost took a picture of it. I didn't. Uh, but so we, uh, here's the story of Zacchaeus before I dig myself deeper. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. In other words, nobody liked this guy. Here we go. He wanted to see who Jesus was but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming away. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. How, 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 that must have been a good moment for Zacchaeus. He's like, Jesus is looking up to me. I just think it's kind of a funny little joke by God there in that story. Okay, here we go. Uh, so he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner? (laughs) You've been in those environments, right? Okay, anyway. Uh, uh, Verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up. And said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. I bet some people in the room were like, It's me. I'm one, you know, I want four times, bring it, you know, but they're they're in this room. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Zacchaeus was wealthy because he taxed people in an unruly way. He took advantage of government. He took people's money. He stole from them. He did cheat. He did rob. He was speaking out of conviction. And because Jesus was in his presence, he was trying to correct that. Now, salvation was not bought by Zacchaeus in this instance. Zacchaeus, out of an overflow of a heart transformation, offered a generous gesture as evidence of his heart change. So he makes this exuberant donation to the poor, 50% of whatever he owned, because his heart had been transformed. His salvation was evidenced by the gift, not because of it. Important to know that we can't buy our salvation. It's just the fruit of, of heart transform is generosity here. So the first and most important thing for us to be rich towards God is Jesus When He gets into our heart, we just look at things differently. Number two, predetermine to be generous. Predetermine to be generous. This is a great way for us not to be strapped by greed. Albert didn't look at his savings account, check his age, and determine, getting a little old, I might not be able to shine shoes anymore, so I am going to look back and see how much I made over the years, the last 32 years in tips, and I'll make a sizable donation. He didn't. He gave over the course of 32 years, and the story made national media because he finally crossed over the $200,000 marker versus making one big huge because he finally made it. I finally raised enough. Now I'll give. See the difference in order there? A third of his life time, earnings. Jaden did a great job a couple weeks ago in his tithing message illustrating something very important when he was peeling apart like the bananas, I think it was, when he said, oh, this one's a little bruised, but this one's like the biggest one. This is the nicest one. I could pick the one that looks not as good and give it to God, but he picked the best one and offered it to God. Being generous, that's the heart of it, right? It's the, let's, let's give the best. In the same passage here uh, er, er, that Jaden was preaching from a couple weeks ago in Malachi, where we're challenged to test God in the tithe, which puts the 90-day challenge out there always. If you ever want to try tithing for 90 days, you just... Write 90-day challenge on your connection card and start. And if at the end of 90 days, you're like, this sucks and doesn't work, we'll give you a refund. We'll work out the details. So just request it. But it says, test me in this. But it doesn't only talk about tithing in that test. He says, you've robbed me of tithes and offerings. So what's the difference? Tithe is a calculated minimum to honor God and demonstrate our heart change, right? The 10%. The offering is any gift above and beyond that. It's it's whatever's beyond 10% is an offering, and usually given in special circumstance to special cause. Some of you have reached that place where you've been consistent. It's almost so repetitious that you don't even notice the tithe anymore. But what's challenging is when you feel God tug for an offering. Um When was the last time you gave 20 percent in a year? Open life gave 21 percent in 2012. Isn't that interesting to think? As a church, we gave back a lot, which is why I love open life. We're generous. Have you planned to give beyond your tithe in 2013? It's a challenge. God wants you to be open to giving more if He stirs in your heart. You know, sometimes in the Bible, there's instances where people were stirred to generosity above and beyond the tithe so much that they had to look at them and say, stop, do not bring any more. We have no need for it. Just so you know, open life hasn't reached that moment. So I'm just saying, just, just a side note, just a footnote, just a little asterisk, italicized. Anyway, while it often uh, is the fault of those who need finances because they don't make the ask for it, Zacchaeus is an example of not having to have been asked. He just gave a huge gift because he felt God challenge him to do it when the opportunity was there. He just made the opportunity. And this is why I not only pray for open life to be fully funded, I pray for you to hear the Holy Spirit in moments where God stirs you to give in a random moment. I love those stories of hearing when somebody is getting their hair cut and they hear the person had not enough money for school supplies and they go to the store, buy the school supplies that they were talking about while they were getting their haircut from the stylist and walks in with the supplies and says, here, and they're like, huh? Love those stories. Love the stories of somebody seeing a, a news article where somebody has lost a home or a car or, a, or whatever and takes it upon themselves to initiate the gift. It's not always, It does doesn't have to be organized by the church, your generosity. It's God stirring in you it's God stirring in you to make a difference in someone's life. I love that. And I want us to be those who are sensitive to the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 16, one through 2 says about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Interesting, it's equal sacrifice, or not equal sacrifice, or yeah, equal sacrifice, not equal gift. What's being taught here is in addition to tithe. This was not a tithe teaching. They were tithing, but they were taking up special offerings for missions work, ultimately, in this time. And he was teaching the same thing to the Corinthians that he taught to the Galatian church. He's saying, hey, it's easier to hear the voice of God and give generously if you have predetermined to be generous so maybe you say, I'm going to give 3% above my tithe this year, and you set it aside waiting for that opportunity to bless. Can you imagine being that guy that you're ready, your ears are open, your eyes are open when you're present with our community and you're out there and you hear of a need, you could just make the difference on the spot when it finally comes across your path, anonymously or not anonymously but just to be ready to be generous. Planned generosity versus just waiting for the emotion, and then you get the emotion, and you're like, I've spent all the way to the edges of my budget. This is challenging stuff that the Bible <laughs> teaches us. Second Corinthians 9-7 says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I think we're under compulsion when we don't plan. But if we've decided to give at some point in time, and we just, when the opportunity comes, we do it. It's a different moment for us. I want to challenge you. What I prefer to do is exactly what I just said. I, I prefer to set aside a percentage above and beyond to know this is our like generosity fund. Now, will God challenge you at times to go above and beyond that? And you're just like you're in a moment where somebody's asking for something, and you feel that empty your wallet absolutely, and that's why I don't carry cash. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's like now somebody will say there's an app for that. I'm like, you know, it's true. So we've just got to be ones who would be sensitive to what God is wanting to do. Generosity. Calculated generosity. Generosity by prompting by God. This is some challenging stuff. Third thing, stop living to the edges mentioned it a second ago. Leviticus is where you find the teaching twice. It says, when you reap the harvest, Leviticus 19.9, when you reap the harvest in your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleaning of your harvest. Do not go over the vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. I wish I knew this Scripture when I worked on a blueberry farm because when they say, go back and pick that field again, I would have said, listen to this. And you get out of the work, but I didn't know that as a little child. Here we go, child labor. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. So here's this command in the Bible. They still were supposed to give 10% of what they harvested, but God's challenging them not to harvest the whole thing. Leave something for those who are in need in your land. If your bucket spills, leave it and keep picking, but don't pick to the edges. That's a challenging, like you feel like a bad steward, but in reality, you got to realize I'm being a good steward to those in the community who have need. If we budget ourselves to our edges, we have no possible way without hurting ourselves to be generous. There's joy in choosing not to consume everything for yourself. Final thought, number four, be obedient with your gift. Generosity is as much a a gift as singing, preaching, prophecy, any of these things. Evangelism. Some of you were born to be open-handed and... When inspired, you give way beyond 10%, more than any of the others would dream of giving. Romans 12 talks of it. It says in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it. And for proportion of his faith, if it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. True generosity that's uncalculated, that makes you just want to panic because you hear the give a big check moment in your spirit, those moments are incredible to the giver, to the one with the gift of giving. They live for that moment. And that may be you. That might be your gift, and you need to somehow stir that and believe that that's a gift and recognize it and thank God for it. Jesus is watching again. How? How? you are generous, not what your generosity equates to. They're equally important. So uh, there's no magic number. There's no savings amount that is too much in your bank account. There's no too little in your bank account. Uh, But you should prayerfully consider when opportunities come across your path, and you should prepare in advance from those opportunities arising to be generous. That's why Open Life sets apart 10% of everything given that is undesignated so that we can give back to the community. We want to be prepared to give when the need arises versus, oh man, we wish we had something to give. So we practice what we preach as an organization, and that is one of the things I love. We get to say yes a lot. And because of that, we're blessed. Can I pray for you? I want you to look at those action steps as we sing a final song here too. I want you to allow God just to really reach inside and say, what do I need to work on? Do I need to choose Jesus and begin a relationship with him? Because it starts there. Generosity really is rooted in that relationship, pure generosity. Do you need to take the the tithes challenge? Do you need to determine an offering amount over the course of the year and have a a prayerful meeting with the family and say, man, what, what should we do in 2013? Do you need to cultivate the gift of generosity? I don't know. Lord, I thank you for everyone here we're, we're all truly in a different space in our relationship with generosity but I pray that God you would give us the opportunity to honor you with all we have uh, in every way shape or form that we can imagine and if it's tithing let us tithe if it's giving above and beyond that stir it in us and show us what to give to and how to give and let us be generous people not just as a church but as individuals in community and uh Let us be a blessing to all those around us and and recognize your calling upon us as those who follow you to to be faithful in our giving. In this time of just, as we sing a song, may we just reflect on what is our action point. Stir us. Give us eyes that would see and ears that would hear your desire for our life in Jesus' name.